Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Mark Abraham is the CEO of the startup business Black Pearl Partners. This was a company formed in late 2018, a business that is primarily a sports agency which works with brands to maximise their return on investment, particularly in the world of sports sponsorship investment, easy for me to say. At the age of just... 27. 27. At the age of just 27, Mark is also a director of the Nth Degree Club, a now world-renowned private dining club, and Mark also serves on the under-30s committee of the Ned Hotel, if that wasn't enough. So to find out more about uh, a very special guest today, somebody I've gotten to know very well in the last few months, so it's a real privilege to have you here with us, Mark, to find out what, what's turned you into this great success story. Um, I'm going to welcome today's guest, Mark Abraham. Welcome. Thank you very much, Sandra. Pleasure is all mine. Uh, I I would say the opposite, actually. It's great to have you with us. And thanks for giving up some time in what is, I know, a very, very busy schedule. I'm particularly pleased to have you with us, Mark, because you are a young entrepreneur, right? Um, You've done extraordinarily well for yourself. Uh, Your CV is as long as my arm already, and you're 27 years of age. I'd be old enough to be your father. (laughs) Um, So let's start with finding out a little bit more about about Mark Abraham. Where did you grow up? Brilliant, yeah. So I think my life started in Ireland. You'll hear from the accent. Um, I am the son of a farmer's son. So I spent many uh, a weekend and summer working on my dad's farm. It was a big tillage farm, has now turned into a piggery. And I think, um, if anything, that's where my work ethic and love of business started. Um, So my dad was very much a man that you work for what you, you want in life. So I used to... Anything I wanted, if I wanted the new PlayStation, he'd like, right, well, you have to go and bed a number of cow sheds or you have to go and paint a number of gates. I think my value and appreciation for for money came from that, certainly. Um, And I think looking back uh, at the time, I hated it. And now I look back and it was probably the best thing he ever could have done. So I have to thank him first and foremost. Um, Going through school, which is a a horrible um, time for me, um, I was not good with authority. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can probably um, agree with me on this is that they were more pushed into entrepreneurship rather than they chose it. Um, For whatever reason, I just, the authoritarian style of school didn't suit me. Um, And I remember getting through the last two years of my secondary school, um, which was your A-levels here in the UK. Um, I had to go and see a, a psychologist because I was very difficult with, with 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 teachers, which you might not have known, Sancho. So I was I was very difficult with them, and I would I would answer them back, and I would have an issue with just authority, really. And the psychologist would say, "There's nothing wrong with the child at all. He will thrive in the real world." Um, and I think that's kind of what has started to happen. I've kind of found my niche now. Um, I remember when I left um, university, I studied economics. I did it with international hotel management um, at the kind of world-renowned Shannon College of Hotel Management. Um, and I, I did that really because I wanted to do business, but I also wanted to get some work experience. So I got to, to go to America. I worked with Trump Towers for a year. I went to Brussels. I worked beside the, the parliament for a year. And then I made my way to London. 
And when I was in the corporate structure, it was exact same as school. You know, it was how long have you been there? It was 10 years. If you were there 10 years, you got the promotion or you had to, you know, respect the people above you. Not necessarily because they respected you, but because they were above you. And I never understood that. I kind of was of the way if if someone treats me with respect and, and, and they try and teach me stuff or they're nice to me, then you respect them. It's it's kind of it's it's you earn it rather than it's kind of demanded that it, you have to be to given it. So. Um, I was pushed into entrepreneurship because I just didn't fit the mold of, of, of being told kind of what to do. Um, and, and that's how I left the corporate world and kind of got into to doing my own thing. Um, wow. So I, I, <laughs> just to pick up on something you said, um, whilst you may not necessarily know very much about my past, it's probably true to say I was a bit of a square at school <laughs> and look where that education got me. Anyway, yeah. so um, wh- one thing I'm hearing uh, loud and clear is that because uh, you've packed in an awful lot into a short space of time, would it be fair to say that one of the kind of the, the pieces of advice you'd give to young people particularly is to try lots of different things? Yeah, 100%. I think, again, when you come out of school and college, you're told, and unfortunately, it's usually dictated by your parents because that's who you try and impress. Um, the people closest to you and you're told, oh, at least stay for 12 months, or at least get two years. It will look good on your CV. It will look good on your CV. And I was, I, I was thinking, but I, I really don't like it. I'm a month in and I hate it. I'm, I'm miserable getting up in the morning. I'm not enjoying going to it. And they would say, do it, do a year, do a year, do two years. It's great for your CV. And I think it's the old way of thinking. Um, and when I kind of decided to just go and do my own thing, I tried numerous things. And I think that is is the advice I would give to, to any kind of younger person is do as many things as possible. You're 21 to 30, you should try 50 things if you can do it every couple of months because you'll never know what you want to do until you trial it you need to taste it you need to experience it you know people want to be um, a millionaire because they see what the result is but what are the, the outcome what's the process you need to understand if you like the process if you can do it everyone wants the result of of being successful but they might not enjoy the process of of working seven days a week for 16 hours a day so mm. i think before you can decide what you want to do in life, you really, really need to taste it. And I think that's what I was fortunate enough to have probably the selfishness to go and just do my own thing and not listen to my my parents or my, my teachers or my university lectures. And I just did my thing and I, I ended up finding out at a young age what I really wanted to do. And and so that takes us to the present day. We'll, we'll explore your, your past life and some of the things you're aspiring to do in a moment. But um, here we are in the present day, Blackpool Partners. How did that come about? Because one thing that strikes me about you in the time we've known each other is that um, for somebody who's all about anti-establishment and all the problems <laughs> that you created at school, um, you, you are an amazing network and you've got a, a really kind of... Um, a, a, a magnetic personality, if you don't mind me saying. Thank and you. I'm not saying that to embarrass you. I'm uh-huh. saying that genuinely. So where does that come from? Um, I suppose you've got a bit of Irish in you. It's uh, the gift of the gab, as they say. Um, I'm very but much... Ge- but genuine with it, yeah, though. Yeah, 100%. It, I, I'm, like, I'm a big believer in H to H, not B to B, not B to C, but H to H, human to human. Um, you connect with the human before you connect with the business. That's the first and foremost. And I love building personal relationships with people. I consider the vast majority of anyone I've ever done business with as a friend. And human psychology tells you that if you're friends with someone, they will want to do you better than if you're just a business contact with them. So if you are friendly with a person, of course, you're going to want to help them because you're friends with them and everyone wants to help their friends. So that's kind of 
I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman called Brian Comer, who I mentioned over lunch to you, who is an Irish billionaire. Brian and Luke started as, as a plasters in Galway. They now own Comer Homes, which is a, a multi-billion pound property company. And Brian said to me, and it's a, you know, it's a quote probably used by a lot of people, but your, your net work is your net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was during my time when I was working with the British and Irish Trading Alliance as commercial director. So we worked between the Irish Embassy in London and the British Embassy in Dublin. And we really had to just increase trade relations between UK and Irish companies. And I got into the world of networking and I was just meeting people and it was a non-profit. So I was meeting people without any financial benefit and I would introduce them to do business deals. And all of a sudden I became known as the, the nice young Irish man who was helping people get business deals. And it worked really in my favor because for two years I was just building up a network, a black book of people of doing favors for them, genuine favors, genuinely being friends with them never asking anything in return and just introducing them. Um, And that led me to meet a gentleman called Robert Walton, who you know, who's the president of the Restaurant Association of the UK. And Robert and I clicked. He, He liked my enthusiasm, my youthful exuberance, and he asked me to become a director of the Nth Degree Club. And that took me from meeting a lot of brands who were in the construction world, which was the British and Irish trade lines, to a lot of luxury brands, Rolls Royce and Etihad and Unilever. And I was very fortunate to, um, Robert runs a dining club called the Nth Degree Club, and it brings influential brands and people together to network. And again, I went into networking, but it was in the luxury space. And how this all leads up to starting Black Pro Partners is, is for three and a half years, I had been introducing people to do business, but never asking anything in return. So I would have a, in other words, a black book of contacts of people who I had done a favor for. And the head of the Daily Telegraph introduced me to another Irish gentleman called Ian Dignan, who worked at Fulham Football Club. And this was when Shahid Khan had bought Fulham Football Club. And Ian was brought in to redevelop their whole partnership arm um, of the club. And when I got introduced to Ian, I started introducing some of the brands I knew to Ian at Fulham. And they would sign up and do sponsorship deals. And I said to Ian, well, I know all the brands from my network in the past three years and you know how to structure sports contracts. Why are we just selling Fulham Football Club? Why can't we sell the F1 teams? Why can't we sell the PGA Tour? Why can't we sell, you know, tennis, everything? Um, and that's how it really started. So at the end of 2018, I went to one of my network and said, this is an idea I have. This is the brand connections we have. This is Ian's background. Would you give us um, the startup capital to to allow Ian to come and 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 the two of us run the company? So that's how we we initiated Black Pearl Partners. I'm, I'm going to pick up on that then, because um, as you've been talking so eloquently, I've been writing down uh, a, a, a question we get asked a lot, particularly by email on the podcast, and that is: so I've got a good business idea. How do I? How do I get traction? How do I get started? Because, you know, we all have a dream. We've all got an idea, but often we don't get it off the ground for various reasons, inertia, um, procrastination, excuses, easiest thing in the world to do, of course. But how do people get started when they've got an idea? Yeah, I think first what they say, like the graveyard is the most valuable place in the world because everyone <laughs> has an idea that they died with. Um, I think first and foremost, um, I think it's a point that I would have liked to have pass on to any young people as entrepreneurship is glorified as this incredible thing because they look at you know media platforms like Instagram and, and they see the results of, of entrepreneurship and it might not even be the results it could be you know money passed down from generations and they start a clothing brand and they look like they've done you know great success but it was just money that was kind of inve- given to them 
Um, so starting a company should be, first of all, I don't think many people should. That's my just honest opinion. I think it is, you know, it's a, it's a difficult path. Um, it brings a lot of stress. I don't think everyone is, is made for it. And I think people think if they haven't, you know, they want to get into an entrepreneurial kind of field, you know, the number 20 guy at Facebook is making a hell of a lot more money than 99% of owner managed businesses who are entrepreneurs. So I think first and foremost, you need to really understand if you actually want to start a company because an, an idea is far different than starting a company. If you have an idea, you need to just first and foremost see if there's a market out there. You know, is there a problem you're trying to solve? Um, is there a market that you think you can penetrate? And if there is, you just put a business case. There is lots and lots of money out there. People say, oh, I can't get money. Money is probably the easiest thing right now to find. You know, money has been thrown at countless ideas. So again, I was lucky though, at a young age that I had a great network. I had people who had been in business for 30, 40, 50 years who I could pick up the phone and call them and, and ask them for advice. So I suppose my, if your network is, is, is large, you can, you can enter a lot easier. But I think first and foremost, you need to really understand that the process of a company is far different than the idea of the results of a successful company. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind of mix that at a young age. They see, you know, the valuations of these tech companies in Silicon Valley and think that overnight they're going to become very successful. And I think, unfortunately, you know, no one talks about, and I don't want to make this a negative podcast, no one talks about the suicide or the mental health issues in entrepreneurship, which is, which is very difficult. So first, before you even think of turning an idea into a a company, you got to really understand what you've got to put in to make it successful. And I don't think for one minute anyone would take what you've just said as a negative at all. I, I think it's important to be really realistic about these things. So I appreciate your, your, your candle, really, because that will help a lot of people to understand that there is a bit more to it than just waking up one idea with a one day with an idea yeah. and then, you know, but, acting but, on, upon it without the research. Just the answer, I suppose, the question is what you do. You have to just do it. You know, people watch all the motivational videos on YouTube and listen to all the podcasts in the world and read all the self-help books. But if you don't actually do it, mm. you'll never know. So people procrastinate for so long because usually it's an insecurity of fear of failure, simply. That's yeah. what it is. And um, if you want to start a company, just, just start it, mm. you know. And I suppose, you know, you've got the benefit of youth. So um, it, would it be fair to say that you take uh, proportionately less risk when you're younger you know, there's less riding on it. So if you make a couple of mistakes, things go wrong. Uh, there's probably less at stake. It's easy to make excuses later in life, possibly. Would, is that, um, that your experience? Because of my personality, which I explained earlier in school, I was driven into having to run my own business in whatever way it was because I wasn't very good at taking authority or instruction. So I was looking at it in my DNA while in my, my youth, it didn't work in my favor, but now it certainly does because I just had to be. Mm. an entrepreneur. I have to own my own business because that's just my DNA. Um, so despite all of your um, all of your attributes that are clearly going to take you um, to much higher places, and you've been successful already, but um, would it be fair to say that uh, life is not a bed of roses, that there are obstacles and challenges and roadblocks? And, and if you agree that there are, and I, I assume that to be the case, how do you overcome those day-to-day Challenges. We spoke about a couple over lunch, for example. We all have them, don't we? How do you deal with them to kind of keep yourself on track to make sure you're always heading in the, the direction that you want to be heading in? Yeah, I, I think first it's understanding what environment you thrive in. So I think a good analogy is like Michael Jordan was an incredible basketball player. And the second he moved to baseball, 
he was nobody. Like no one remembers that career. You could give a fish, you know, a mansion and a Ferrari and he'd die if he was out of water. So you need to know what your environment is you thrive in. And luckily, you know, the entrepreneurial road that I'm in, I, I thrive in it. I like kind of being a little bit stressed. I like having to make the decisions. I like, you know, I've probably three years now of kind of doing entrepreneurial stuff where I didn't know if I could pay rent at the end of the month, but I'm lucky enough that whatever is in my DNA, I, that I kind of, I, I vibe off that. I like the kind of high pressured environment. But for me, it was always, it was always freedom of choice. So getting up in the morning and being able to decide, do I want to go to the gym first or do I want to go do meetings first or, you know, simple things like, can I get a haircut at 10 o'clock on a Monday? Cause it's a quieter time than going on a Saturday or Sunday. And that for me was the kind of the, the results entrepreneurship gave me was freedom of choice. Um, and that's what I love the, the most about it. It's not necessarily about, and I thought when I was like maybe at 21, it was about making loads of money. And I was like, I want to be a millionaire. And that was my initial, like many young entrepreneurs, they want to make money. And I think now it's freedom of choice and what I do in my life. And I think many people who start on an idea of a company, it's because they want to become a millionaire. But if you, let's just hypothetically say I make £70,000 this year. If you were to offer me a job and say, Mark, you can work for me and I'll give you £300,000 a year, I would turn it down. Because that money doesn't incentivize me to give up the freedom of choice I have. So I think a lot of people should be a bit more realistic when they start an idea. And they go, I'm really not enjoying my environment, which is the corporate world. The environment I would like would be freedom of choice. Can I substitute my 60,000 salary at Accenture? And can I start a consultancy business and make 60,000 working for myself? I think that should be the stepping stone a lot of young entrepreneurs should look for. Mm. It's just that small step. Can I substitute my current salary and work for myself and replace it? And I think that is huge success. People really look for millions. Like, how about just replacing your salary and being happy? I think that's what a lot of young people... You and I have a lot in common because I remember uh, as I turned 21, which is a very long time ago (laughs) now, uh, I remember my very first goal, and and I I retain to this day, is that I wanted to get to a point in life where I had ultimate choice every single day. So when I woke (laughs) up, as you say, you could play golf or go to the hairdressers or do a bit of work or or whatever. So um, I think think we understand each other, but it's... wise words indeed for, for all those listening. So um, one other thing I'd like to just touch on is your vlog. Now, as a, as a 50, near 51-year-old, <laughs> uh, the words vlog and blog and social media and stuff just don't compute in my mind. So tell us what the, uh, the vlog is and tell us why you started it, because I've looked it up and it is really, really fascinating. I would encourage anyone to look you up on YouTube, but we'll circle back to that a little bit yeah. later. So what is it? So a vlog is a, is a video blog. Um, and the reason I started it was... I found that when I was, and I have, we may be touching this, I think, you know, you're a product of your environment and I have various people on social media that I follow religiously and I look up to them and I consider them my kind of circle of influence. Um, But I found that their perspective on life and business was coming from a point of success. So to name a few, Jay Shetty or Gary Vaynerchuk, and, and, and they both vlog, but they are giving me their perspective when they have, you know, an 800 person company and hundreds of million in turnover and their perspective of finances and happiness, I think is slightly different because they forget maybe what it was like 20 years ago when they started a company. So the purpose of the vlog was kind of, was threefold really. I think firstly, it was if young entrepreneurs would, could follow a journey from day one, we didn't have an office. I wasn't taking a salary. Ian had a salary and we had no deals in the pipeline. It was day one and we took the video 
and we just started to to document. We didn't create any. It was literally document. We're going to this meeting. There is this is the kind of sales angle we're going to take. This is the follow up we're going to do. And um, the reason we're meeting this brand is for this proposition. And that was just literally documenting the life. It was called a daily hustle of a startup. It was just a day to day life of a startup. So people could look at what it's really like to start a company. We know we had a deal that happened, I think, in week three, and then it fell through in week five. And we posted about the deal happening. We were so happy. We went for a beer to celebrate. And then two weeks later, because we're in the client services game, the deal fell through. And then we put that up on, on camera. And I think it was just being real about mm. what it's actually like to start a company rather than what the results are. And I think a lot of people, I suppose the two, the second fold was kind of being accountable. So if I was vlogging and I had someone following a video, I really had to give it all because, you know, being driven by the fear of failure was was quite enticing to me. I was like, I don't want to, everyone's watching, everyone can see all my friends, my family, I don't want to fail. And then I think the third thing was just, um, like on Instagram, I didn't have Instagram for 12 months personally, so I was never big into it, but I just felt that in today's age, you have to be a brand. So the person behind the business has to be a brand because it drives revenue. And if you're not a brand and you don't have, I suppose, a, a web footprint, you're kind of lost. So it was kind of a, a business angle too. And we went to a couple of brands meetings and they said, oh, we watched the vlog. It's really nice to know who you are before we meet them. So I think it worked quite well. Um, and yeah, hopefully a couple of people have seen a bit of value from it. Mm. So um, you, you you mentioned the words that you didn't want to fail. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. Um, it, but obviously in your experience, Mark, is, is it okay to fail? Whatever failure is, sounds like, looks like, is it okay to fail? Is it an inevitable part of the process? Uh, do, you, do you accept it for what it is and just dust yourself down and move on? Um, well, no, I don't. Like, listen, businesses, like I love sports and we have a sports agency. I know you're big into it yourself. You know, you don't go out and accept failure in sports. So why would you do it in business? You know, people say fail fast. I think you learn. I think failure is, well, my opinion is failure is you failed at something. So obviously you never try to do that in business. You want to succeed. Um, I think people kind of, no, I don't think it's okay to fail. You know, your business is competitive. It's a competition. It's who can, you know, there's other, like IMG, Minnow, you know, the biggest sports agency in the world. And, you know, a couple of meetings we've been up against them. So if we fail, we failed. And I think there's a really good book from Jocko Willink. Um, he was a Navy SEAL. It's called Complete Ownership. And it's really what he says is that no matter what, and it's been kind of enlightening for me to read it, because no matter what happens in any walk of life or in business, you have to own everything. So if you fail, you kind of look at yourself and go, what did I do? And usually if you actually really go into granular detail, it's because maybe you were partying too much. Maybe you weren't getting up early in the morning and working. Maybe you were a bit laissez-faire after doing a deal. Maybe you didn't follow up on the pipeline that you said you were going to follow up. And I think complete ownership allows you to own where you've failed um, and kind of, you know, turn that into a, a success. I wouldn't, I wouldn't glorify failure. I think a lot of people do, but mm. you know, no one wants to fail, do they? So no, I'm, I wasn't asking you for a specific reason, but it's very refreshing to hear such a modern take because we often hear quotes from books that have been around for donkey's years. So it's really refreshing to hear your your take on it. Um, so a couple of quick things. Um, the Nth Degree, tell us very briefly about that, because that's where we met, isn't it? And it that, is, yeah. Everything, for those listening, I can attest to the fact that Mark is everything he says he is, because <laughs> we met uh, and I was captivated by this magnetic personality, this larger-than-life personality sat 
as it happened next to me on the table, but I don't think we chatted to anyone else all night, did we? We couldn't stop no. talking. So um, tell us a little bit about the Nth Degree, and then we'll talk very briefly about the NED yeah. as well and how you got involved. The Nth Degree is the brainchild of Robert Walton, MBE, who's the president of the Restaurant Association of A former of, guest of the on the podcast, actually. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, obviously. And um, he started the club six years ago, I believe. And really it was to connect people through food. So the concept is, is that we would dine in a fine dining venue of a, of a great restaurant, you know, usually Michelin star. There'd be 12 to 20 people around the table. Um, and basically the chef would come in and speak about the food. The sommelier would come in and speak about the wine. And it's really, you know, three or four hours of great conversation around great food. And it, um, I used to kick off some of the, everyone would say a minute to two about who they are and what they do, sitting down very casually in between courses. And a lot of times I would kick it off and I would start with my story of, you know, growing up on the farm and, and going through school and, and coming to London. I think what it did was there would be, you know, people in their 50s and 60s who were incredibly successful and then there would be younger entrepreneurs like myself and it would really level everyone and everyone would talk about where they started from. And then all of a sudden you might be talking about your your kids or your partners or where you've gone on family. And it was the perfect way for me to network because I love hearing about the person behind the brand or the person behind the company. Like I've said before, it's all about H to H and that was a really great place for people to just meet you as a friend. And you would rarely actually talk about business. It would just be about life. And sometimes you, you might not actually be able to do something directly, but it'd be like, oh, Sandra, you must meet this person. They'd be great for you. And it was that kind of selfless introducing to other people that from a psychology point of view, you now feel obliged in a certain mm. way to help me. Principle of reciprocation. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and um, it's, an, it's an incredible network because it just connects people, you know, true food and wine, which, which a lot of people like. And, and, and I love it. Yeah, I couldn't talk any more highly of it. And it's been incredible for me and really given me kind of a boost at such a young age to, mm. to sit beside um, very impressive people like yourself. Well, that's kind. Um, uh, so the NED, how did that come about? The NED, so the NED is the brainchild of Nick Jones of Soho House Group. So Soho House and Sedell Group um, did a JV um, and they started the NED. Obviously, Soho House is, is for your creatives. Um, the NED was, is based in, in Bank in the city. Um, it's a five-star hotel. It's a members club probably one of the best in London and they I met Richard De Silva who was the head of membership and he kind of liked who I was and what I had about me the nth degree helped because the nth degree is a virtual club we don't have a physical location but we use the dining spaces of restaurants as our clubs on that day and I thought it would be a great way that I could bring the brands I work with and the people I work with to the ned because you know, they're looking for a club in London. So there's a, you know, there's a three-year waiting list. Um, the benefit of being on the committee is I can get, you know, friends and business contacts in tomorrow, basically. Oh, interesting. Um, yes. <laughs> so if anyone's out there looking for a membership. Um, and it's just, again, it's just networking. You know, the more people you meet, the more opportunities come. And that's kind of the way I, I look at life. So the NED has three and a half thousand members. And, you know, it's, it's another great way for me to meet people and ultimately you know that leads increase my pipeline which potentially would increase business deals i'm somewhat disappointed to say that our time is very nearly up i can't believe where nearly half an hour has gone um so i i cannot leave this podcast mark without apart from thanking you obviously to ask you a couple of quick questions the first one very important how do we find out more about mark abraham social media i mean given your age you've got to be fairly yeah. prominent in social media so where do we find you first of all 
So um, my Instagram is kind of my day-to-day business life. So that's Mark B. Abraham. Um, YouTube is Mark Abraham, the daily hustle of a startup. LinkedIn is just Mark Abraham. Um, and I kind of keep it to those three platforms. Okay. And uh, and obviously those that want to reach out to Mark can do in, in, in those ways. And then I think the, the, the last question I have for you, if you don't mind, and it's the same question we ask all our guests, Mark. So uh, unfortunately, you don't get away with it. Um, you are 27 years of age. So this is yeah. probably slightly more difficult for you to picture. But given all of the wisdom that you've acquired, all that experience so far, if you were giving a piece of advice now to a younger version of yourself, let's imagine you are a very young father of a young Mark Abraham and and that young boy said to you, okay, dad, I'm now going to embark on this career. Um, I'm doing slightly better or slightly worse at school. But putting all that aside, what one piece of advice would you give me, dad, taking into account all the things that you now know in those 27 years? Um, I think there's just two parts to it because the first part leads into the second nicely. I think first, people talk about limiting beliefs and insecurities. First, you really have to get rid of those. There's a nice quote, and I hope I get it right. It's passed down from someone else. So it's um, Jay Shetty who goes, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. So we live in a life in a world where we look at what your perspective of me is and then we do things that we think will please you. That usually is my parents might think it would have been great if Mark was worked for one of the big four accountancy firms or was a lawyer or was a doctor. So I then go through life trying to please what I think would please my parents. First, you really got to throw that out, like get rid of your insecurities, get rid of trying to prove, impress other people. Just do you first, because if you don't do you from day one, mm-hmm. you're, you're really, you know, you're, you're not going down the right path. I know what you're about to say then. <laughs> well <laughs> the done. Irish in me. <laughs> the second part of that is you have to define what success is to you. So you have to really understand what you're trying to get after. Like, what's your end goal? Define it. Like, really define it. Granular. Like, wh- where do you want to live? Like, how much would you ideally like to earn? What does your day look like? What does your ideal day look like? What would make you happy? Like, really define it. Get, like, really detailed with it. And then the second is if you're young and you have the opportunity to taste it. So you might have defined a role that you want to be an investment banker, but then you realize you've got to work 16 hours a day. It might be difficult for you to, to, to keep relationships alive. Like, does that lead into your, you know, the life that you want to live? So you've got to taste it a little bit. So first is definitely define the success, get really deep at defining it. And then it's kind of trying to taste little bits and parts of it. And then you go back to redefine it because you're young. So you have time to do this. People think they don't have time. You have lots of Mm. time to do it. And then it's really about putting in the work. You and Sandra, I think, are going to ask you a question. You do not know one self-made person who did not work incredibly hard. Fact. Yeah. Unless you are fortunate enough to have been passed down money, you do not know someone who's self-made who's made it without work. Mm. So the simplest thing is life. And one thing I, I, I don't like too much is people who complain but then don't do the actions that... Are, are kind of getting away from their complaints. So you complain that you don't have much money, but you might watch, you know, every episode of Game of Thrones and finish work at five in the afternoon. So really to to follow through on what you've defined as your success is to go and do it and it's to work really, really hard. And I think you can do that at a young age. So any young 20-something year old out there, you have a lot of time and energy and, and these are your glory. So go and do it. The perfect way, I would say, to uh, summarise 
a fabulous podcast. Mark, Abraham, thank you so much for being a really, really wonderful guest. Um, thank you. We've not known each other for very long, but that is a, a brilliant way of encapsulating everything I know about you. And uh, you, you really are a star and uh, long may your success continue. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So that was the Sandro Forte podcast and what an amazing guest Mark Abraham was. Remember, there are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks. So please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's podcast. Please remember that Sandro's with an S, same on all channels. And we'd love to continue to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges or whatever motivates you. So please keep the emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week, take care.